very glad you're with us this morning at Genesis Community Church. That phrase that you hear um, from Pilate, do you know who I am? Do you, don't you know who I am? It's like a common movie trope where the villain exposes who they truly are. Or like a bad episode of Undercover Boss where you, you say, don't you know what I can do? Don't you know the power that resides within my hands? Don't you know the authority that I have to do whatever I will in this situation? We love, and it doesn't really matter at what age, what stage, what job we have, where we are in our classes with our friends, we love pecking orders. We love to know what we can do. We love to know what we can't do. We love to know what we be, have the authority to do. We love to know who uh, we can make feel small. And we want to be sure the people who can make us feel small, we appease. All of that is a way in which the world operates. We love to live based on authority. Who has what, why they have it, what they can do, what they can't do. And even in church life, authority becomes one of the biggest we can call it a, a bugabear. We can call it that, right? One of the biggest issues is like, well, what can you do? And what can you do? And you have all the authority, and I don't have enough authority. And, and really, so many church issues revolve around who has the authority to do what? Who has the authority to do what? We love to feel in control. It brings us confidence, and it makes us feel important. We love people who have to come to us to get our decision. Either because we have the positional power, as somebody like Pilate has, or we've just been somewhere long enough that we have kind of the matriarch or patriarch power. You, know, you guys know what I'm talking about? We're like, yeah, hey, it doesn't matter what you're doing, you just got to talk to this person because they've been around forever and whatever they say goes, doesn't really matter. If they have the position, they have the tenure. And here's what we see today. There is no authority greater than God's. There is no power greater than God's. And God even uses the misplaced, wrongly expressed authority of sinful men to bring about his ends. So Pilate doesn't stand a chance against God's plan. Even when he thinks that he is standing so sure and he's there with Jesus and he's going to let him know, don't you know that I have the authority to let you go? To kill you? How did God, in this instance, in John 19, use misunderstood, misplaced, and abused authority to bring about his ends at the trial of Jesus. Again, I understand it's a little weird that we're getting into crucifixion, resurrection narrative. We're not even at Easter yet, but that's just where we fall. So we're going to be steeped in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus throughout March and into April, and you're just going to have to deal with it. Christians are ultimately a resurrection people. 
It's the resurrected life that we get to experience. It's the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, the first fruits of the resurrection, and that we get new bodies. I've started, as I told you before, to pray for the ways that my body is breaking down. I just pray that I honor God with all my ailments. Courtney's like, you should stop exercising. That would help. And I'm like, it honestly might. I, you know, I wouldn't hurt as much. I don't know if I'd last as long, but I wouldn't hurt as much. And I really want to do two things with this this morning. We, we know the, the story a bit. We probably heard it in some way. And, and so we're going to be in the crucifixion narrative this week. We're going to be into it next week. We're going to actually end in uh, two weeks from now with the it is finished. What is finished. So, so we're going to be dealing with the crucifixion for a few weeks as we go through this. But it's the crucifixion as John explains it. And John has a specific end in mind. John is not just, and no book of the Bible is just a historical reenactment, but a theological telling of what is going on. And John has a specific theological purpose. You know this because he says it. And it's very nice when I'm like, just put the cookies on the lowest shelf for me, John, because I don't know if I'm going to understand it. And he's like, I write this so that you would believe, and through believing have life in his name. And I'm like, all right, got it. Got it. Okay, thank you. I, I, that's why, like, in, in like sermon classes, they're like, just tell them what you want them to know from the beginning. And that way, no one gets confused. And honestly, we all still get confused. So what we're going to do, very simply, is look at how the crowds operate in what they think is manipulating Pilate. They're appealing to Pilate and the, the authority and the power that he has, which actually is going to undercut their, their national identity as God's people because they start to align more with Rome than with God. So how do they actually manipulate Pilate? And then what in that conversation between Pilate and Jesus do we begin to see? And what can we learn from that? It's going to be very simple. Just what happens with the crowds operate? What are those principles that we see from there? And we start right there from the beginning. The crowds appeal, is what we learn, to Pilate's position to see to it that Jesus would be delivered over. They appeal to his position. Remember how we talked about this, is that Rome would put governors in places and they would be in charge of what's going on. Rome was smart, and you know that if you want to be a conquering nation, what you don't want to do is actually just overrun everything, but you want, them to be a, you want there to be some level of autonomy. So you want that nation that you have conquered to still feel like they have some level of power, but they still know who's in charge. And so they don't just kind of run over Israel and make it all Roman, but they put Roman presence everywhere so that you always know who really has the authority in the room. Now, this plays out because Pilate, as we talked about last week, is usually in Caesarea because that's where the fancier place is. And if you've ever seen it, Caesarea is beautiful. It's beautiful. It's right there on the coast. Like Herod had built this harbor with like this kind of underwater hardening cement and like the water's blue and everything's there and you get to see it. And so you have this beautiful spot and he has to go from Caesarea to Jerusalem during these holidays, these festivals, which he hasn't, doesn't have a lot to do with because he has to be sure that nothing crazy happens. It's kind of just the responsibility. It's like the mayor has to be in the parade. Like, I don't want to be in the parade. This happens every year, but I'll go do that because it's just one of the things you have to do. 
And so the appointed governor slash authority slash kind of politician has to get to Jerusalem and he's now interacting with the Jewish leadership about what's going to happen with this man Jesus who said he's the son of God. He's been healing, he's been teaching, he's been leading. We're seeing kind of these false accusations brought against him and true accusations and Jesus has stood up very firmly in who he is and what he's done. And the crowds begin in their discussion with Pilate with an appeal to the law. And there's going to be both the Jewish law and the Roman law kind of coming together here to do something. So if you look at verse 1, Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put on his head and arrayed him in purple clothes. And they came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. And I'll stop from time to time and just give a little bit of what's going on here. Rome had different kinds of uh, beatings, okay? Different kinds of ways that they would punish people with beatings. And there were generally three. There was the, 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 like, like the, the small, medium, and large beatings. And if you received a large beating, you probably would not be able to get brought out before the people again because you would barely be able to stand. So we don't know for sure, which we know that Jesus got at least the large, but it could very well be here that Pilate was giving the small just to try and appease the crowds, right? So, so he has him flogged, and he's mocked, and he has this crown of thorns on his head, and he's arrayed in these purple cloths so that he looks like royalty, but he's bloody, beaten royalty standing before the Jewish leaders. Essentially, as you go, if you just looked at the scene and you would go, who has the power in this room? Who has the power and the authority in this situation? Jesus would be your third guess. You'd go, Pilate, the Jewish leadership, you might even just go, the soldiers? Like, you wouldn't get to Jesus for a while. And so Pilate brings him out and says, I'm bringing him out to you that you know I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Which is a little different than what John the Baptist says earlier in the Gospel of John, isn't it? Which is, Behold the lamb. And so Pilate diminishes, drops the status of Jesus to an earthly, beaten status to try and say, look, I've made him nothing. Remember, Pilate still doesn't think that he is guilty of anything of significance. And so all of this is probably to placate the crowd so that they would let him go. You don't think a man with a bloodied body, been struck by soldiers, a crown of thorns on his head, and a purple robe being mocked, beaten, and laughed at, do you think he can do anything? If he could do anything, he would have done it by now. You've seen the movies where, like, the bad guy is about to beat the good guy, and then, like, something stops him. Somebody else shows up, something else happens, or they gain this, like, new authority, or Thor's eyes start to get with lightning, and, like, all of a sudden, like, everything's different. We know that scene, we've seen that scene so many times where evil is about to triumph over good, and right when you think there's no shot, evil loses.
But that's not enough for these crowds. When they saw him, they cry out, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate does something that he knows he can't really do. This is that law piece where he goes, you guys crucify him. You crucify him. I don't want to have anything to do with this. But now look what begins to happen. They first say, we have a law, and according to the law, he ought to die because he's made himself the son of God. So now they're going first to their law. But there's also Roman law because they want him crucified. What is the Jewish capital punishment? Stoning. They don't want him stoned. They want him beaten, mocked, hung up so that people can see him and nobody would ever cause anything like this ever again. What law might it be? Likely, something like Leviticus 24.16, whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall certainly be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. The soldier as well as the native, when they blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. And the reason for that is because if you are identifying yourself with God, then you are saying, I am God. Right? Not, not just like I, I'm kind of connected to God, I'm God adjacent. If you call yourself the son of God, because humans have humans and gods have gods, right? Like if you're thinking of that just familial relationship. You go, this is the Son of God, this is God himself. And so they go to their law first, but this actually spooks Pilate. You have to know that Romans were rather superstitious people. They had a lot of gods, little g gods. They had a lot of beliefs. They had a lot of things in their culture and in their history and in their stories where the gods might come among men. And so when they hear he's making himself to be the Son of God, what, does it, what happens? He's not yet worried about killing Jesus. Now he's worried about something else. And so he, he goes, ooh, gosh. Verse 8, when Pilate heard this statement, he was very afraid or even more afraid. And so they had a little side meeting. It's like when the judge goes, can we go meet in my chambers? We have to talk about this in another spot. And so Pilate goes and has this conversation with Jesus again about authority. He's nervous about what's gone on. And so Pilate said, where are you from? Where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. So Pilate said to him, Don't you know who I am? You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Notice the statement about where are you from causes no response, brings no response from Jesus, but the statement about authority does. And this is what Jesus says. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Now this is interesting because what is the work of Jesus but the willful volitional sacrifice, the surrendering of himself, the total giving up of himself for sinful people so that they might have life. And do you listen to Jesus' words? You would have no authority over me at all. It's interesting how in this scenario, he's going, as this must happen, he's actually letting Pilate's authority be executed. <laughs> happen. He's saying it. 
You wouldn't have any authority unless it had been given to you. And so even as he submits to Pilate, he's submitting to his father because the authority came from God. Something that we can remember in this, because Pilate is trying to put this flex on Jesus, the do you know who I am? Come on. And Jesus is totally nonplussed by it, thinks nothing of it, and basically just escalates it. It's like, you are where you are because God put you there. But this is an important thing for us. Remember Proverbs uh, 21.1? You might know it, but if not, you might have heard it. It goes like this. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Good authority, bad authority, believing authority, unbelieving authority comes from God. And God directs it as he ought to fulfill his purposes. There is no greater authority than God. And yet we get caught up in these catty games of who's more important in the room. And Jesus was not even entering into that. He didn't enter into it when his disciples wanted to know, who's going to sit at your right hand? Who's going to do this? Who's going like, to, like, right? Who's better here? Where are we going to sit? And what are we going to do? And who's the most important? And really, honestly, who's your favorite? I tell my kids that. I go, well, it just depends on the day. <laughs> you know, if you're acting like my favorite for, my, for that day, you're my favorite. But I love all of you equally, except when you're annoying me. <laughs> so Jesus recognizes his authority, but he also recognizes the greater authority. And this actually gives us, this is just a footnote, please think nothing of this in regard, like this just gives us theologically an, a way to understand authority, Okay? what I mean by that is very often we are more than glad to rebel against authority simply because we don't like it. When not liking it is actually not the litmus test for whether or not we obey it. It's if that authority is acting in a way that is forcing or requiring us to act unlike God's people. Jesus submits himself to Pilate's authority, I'll say it like this, under the greater submission of this is what my father's doing. My father's working, and this is a part of it, and so I'm working too. Now that's a hard thing for us Americans to consider, is that God uses different authorities, and very infrequently do we have a reason to rebel. There's an interaction in the book of Acts where the Apostle Paul speaks rudely to a Jewish leader, and he's rebuked for it, even though the Jewish leader was, was mistaken for, he didn't understand Jesus. Paul comes back at him hot. So he goes, would you speak to somebody like that? He goes, I'm sorry, I didn't know that's who he was. Still recognizing an authority. And so I would just say for us, observationally, if Jesus submits himself to his Father's will that includes crucifixion at the hands of Pilate, then I think we have some things to learn about authority and submitting to a greater authority. And that might give us times where we have to disobey or times to obey. It doesn't result in what might that do, but in honoring God 
We submit to fully his authority, but that doesn't mean we reject the authorities that are in place. Said during tax time, I know, I'm sorry about that. Now, if you remember Peter's speech in the book of Acts, he also says this. This Jesus delivered up according to the, what word is next? What is it? Definite. The definite plan and what? Foreknowledge of God. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And we see in this phrase all of this coming together. Lawless men would be the Roman leadership, Gentiles. You killed would be speaking to the Jewish crowd. You killed this Jesus and had him crucified at the hands of lawless men, but this was all a part of the definite plan of God. Now, we don't have to try and reverse engineer this and go, well, how come there wasn't a better plan? I can just go, I'm not God. And so I don't have to figure out why there wasn't another plan. Because we, we get into that with evangelism, right? And sometimes we even feel like that. We go, how come God couldn't just snap his fingers and make everybody believe? How come pain and suffering is a part of God's plan? How, how come going through difficult times or losing children or having a, uh, getting fired, how come that's a part of what God is doing to make me more like him? Why, why that? How come God just couldn't make it better? How come we couldn't just all be in heaven now? And I can go, because he's doing something. Because he's doing something. I can't get to everything he's doing in every way. I can't do that. But he's doing something. Now, that last phrase in 11, he says, Therefore he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. And this is a peculiar one. We've talked about last week, like, who might this be? Is this... All the Jewish leadership, just all of the nation of Israel. I do think specifically we're talking about Caiaphas, the high priest, who is the one having this go about. And the reason that he has the greater sin in this is because he's actually the one that has kept the plan going. And Pilate, even though our creed, crucified under Pontius Pilate, uses him, and I'm sure he doesn't like that. I'm sure Pilate's not happy. It's, like, it's not like hand it over under Caiaphas. Like that's not in our creedal language. So Pilate gets the, the play here and has been recited by Christians for centuries now. But what Jesus is saying is the one from my nation who should be leading the nation in righteousness, who's completely rejected me and handed me over to these Gentiles to be judged and murdered... That's, that's a greater sin. I know we have this way of going, well, all sin's equal. And I'm like, I, I understand what we're saying. But with regard to culpability, Pilate is trying to wash his hands of this. And the crowds are going, no, no, no. Does this reduce Pilate's guilt? Pilate still did it. But he did it as Jesus was handed over. He wasn't inserting himself into this until he had to. Now, there's a, an appeal to the law, which we've seen. Right? There's, 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 we have a law that says anybody who claims to be God needs to be killed. And we need you to crucify him. And that spooks him. But then there's this second appeal, which is the one that works for so many of us. And it is the appeal to the ego. Good leaders know how to use this well. 
and we know husbands, wives, kids, you know how to appeal to egos. I just, you're just so much better at this than your, you know, than mom. And I just, I think you could help me. You're like, well, yeah, I am. Let's do it. So you see in verse 12, because he's spooked by Jesus, he realizes that there's something more going on, and he goes, you have no authority if it didn't come from God. And so now he's looking for an opportunity to let him go, but you have to remember he's there from Rome. He's there on behalf of Rome. And Rome didn't like kind of rogue leaders and governors in authority, and so they would remove you, displace you, kill you if you weren't doing what they wanted you to do, which would be bringing about the will of the empire. And so Pilate's put in this interesting spot, and the crowds know it. They know it. And so they essentially paint him into a corner. Pilate looked to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. And so now, he has to figure out what to do. Because they're now appealing to his role. If you do this, you're not Caesar's friend. Because this person's opposing Caesar if if there's a king living in one of your jurisdictions. And so Pilate now is left with quite a predicament. Do I let him go because I know nothing's wrong with him? Or do I seek to have him crucified because it'll make them happy? And I certainly can't be accused by the Roman Empire of letting a king go. It's quite a tough decision to make if you're just a human leader who doesn't really understand what God's doing in this entire situation. So Pilate heard these words. He brings Jesus out. They sit down in this judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and an Aramaic Gabbatha. And so we're sitting here going, he's sitting down and he has to decide. We don't know quite where this is. I said before, in the northwest corner of the Temple Mount, which Herod built, which is very large, with this fortress. It could very well be in this fortress called the Antonio Fortress. So it might be there that he's sitting down. We have no recollection of where this seat is, but very likely that it was somewhere where the leader would be at this time. It would be elevated so anybody would be able to see him. And so he sits down because he has a decision to make, because most of us like to sit when we have to decide. The heavier the decision, the more sitting we do. And so he's sitting down, and he's going, what do I do now? Notice the appeals. They've appealed to the law, their law, which is now spooked him into executing his own law of his, his own punishment, and now they've appealed to his role, his power, and said, you're not a friend of Caesar's if you're going to not have this man killed. They challenge his position, and then you hear in verse 15, away with him, crucify him. And he says, shall I crucify your king? And they said, we have no king but Caesar. And so even there you hear how the nation is not operating as the nation ought. Because now they're fully identifying with the Roman Empire. To bring about a Roman execution among, uh, for or toward their Messiah. Notice at this point in time in the narrative, 
Peter's gone. We don't know where he is. We know during the crucifixion, perhaps John is there, the disciple Jesus loved, at some point in time, but it's a process that takes time, and so you would probably see people coming and going for a while. But now it's Jesus and the religious leadership and the lawless Roman leadership deciding what they're going to do. And just to put a little force behind it, the crowds go, we have no king but Caesar. They've played him like a fiddle. He has nowhere to go now. If he lets them go, lets Jesus go, now he's let a king go, and he's lost any goodwill he would have had with a nation that he has to keep under control. Making this appeal, and we need to see this because it's happening in Pilate's hands and it's happening in the hands of his leadership. Even as we read this and we go, how could it have happened this way? How come nobody was chiming in? How come nobody was saying anything? How, how come, how come, how come? Even as all this is going on, what are we able to do as we look back? We go, this is exactly how it had to happen. The definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you would have no authority if not already given to you. The king's hearts are like water streams in the hands of the Lord. He moves them wherever he pleases. This moment, this time, and even this way was one brought by God so that we might be saved. It's all done under God's authority. Which is hard, especially in our culture, really, hard for us to comprehend. Punishment of the Son so that the lawless Gentiles like you and me would have life. Jesus is the only one who would have done it? We don't die for enemies. That argument's even made in Scripture. Well, you might die for like a buddy. I have a friend who's thinking about giving his kidney to his brother. Which he's like, I'll probably do it. Best chance of matching. That's a kind gesture to give me your kidney. But it's his brother. Even if you don't like your brother and you have a chance to keep your brother alive, you do it. You know, like, like you just do it. It's family. That's what family does. You need my kidney, you can have my kidney. Probably not my heart. You can't have my heart. But you can have my kidney. I have two of them. If I had two hearts, maybe you could have one of those. We understand sacrificing for people we love. I was talking about this with my, my son earlier today. Like, we always have to sacrifice for those we love. We sacrifice for our church family. We sacrifice for our family. We're sacrificing our jobs. We sacrifice for our neighbors. We're always giving over our own will and our own desi- desires. But to sacrifice yourself for the very people who want you dead. 
For the very people who are right there in that moment seeking to have you murdered. They want to see you no longer non-existent on this earth to give up yourself for them. That perhaps even in the next 45 days or so might believe. Or perhaps the Passover in Acts chapter 2, people who were there, I'm sorry, the Pentecost, celebrating Pentecost, go, I was just in the crowd yelling to have him crucified. And now I see who he is. Friends, we serve and belong to a God who would do something we would never do. Some of you in here are fairly noble people. Others of you, not as much. Some of you are all right. Rock, I'm thinking about you. You're all right. You're, the, you're that one, not the other one. I don't know of many who would in that moment and at that time die for a bunch of people who were enemies. And the reason I don't know those people is because this was God's plan to save those very enemies. The, the confluence, to use that word, which is a, a, like a New Testament manuscript word, the confluence, the combination of all of these streams the Jewish leadership who thought they were acting under their own authority, and Pilate who thought he was acting in his own authority and even tried to flex on Jesus. Jesus who's stating the authority that is actually there. The disciples who are nowhere to be found at this point in time. The crowds who want him crucified who just we saw last week would rather be morally uh, impure than ritually impure. That they would rather just look good than actually be good. All of these people, in all these ways, in all this time, the Apostle Paul would call this the fullness of time. All that has gone on, these decades of Jesus' life, all that was there, all that we see, God sent his son to redeem, to save, to change, to transform. Wicked people that we might be like him, that we, we might be with him, that we might know him. And so you see the end. And we just have the first half of verse 16, because then after on the second half of 16, we'll get to next week, but so he delivered him over to them to be crucified. After all of the manipulation and all of the yelling and all of the consideration and all the appeal to role and power and authority and even the fear that Pilate had about who Jesus actually was and, and it, you know, maybe even the am I making a mistake here, all of that in that moment got brought together to bring about you being here today. That, that in the timeline... We're there, not the multiverse, but in the timeline, we're a part of what God has been bringing about, redeeming men, women, and children that we might have life. And it took wicked people rejecting 
a good Messiah so that his death might be for the world. That's what Jesus has done for us. The willful submission of himself to his Father's will to the point that he gave himself to Pilate's authority that he might suffer, crucified, dead, and buried, but we know resurrection's coming. I have two, two things. We said, we said principles. I didn't have another way to put it. And first is just a step back for us. I put this first because it's, I think, a little lesser in, in importance than the second, but it's still here, is to beware of the flesh and how it manipulates people to think that evil is good and good is evil. For every Christian in this room, you have the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit and you have the Word of God to help you to discern, to comprehend, to understand, and to walk wisely in a world that would crucify Jesus even today. That if the past 2,000 years had not happened and the incarnation began this morning, we would be in the crowds. Beware of the flesh to convince you that you're above that, beyond that, better than that. Watch the appeals to flesh and your own desires to, I've said before, to look good and to be right around others to bring about your ends. Also be concerned about the appeals to the flesh when you're sharing Christ with people because if they've rejected Jesus, they will reject you and so you may not share the full story because you don't want them to not like you. That again is your flesh. I don't want to look bad in front of you I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to call that sin. I don't want to address that in your heart. And with, I don't want to. I don't want to do those things, Lord, because I don't want to look bad. If they reject Jesus, they reject us. But then, secondly, and this is the greater thing for us, as we look at what God is doing now, we look back on what God has done. Is this have confidence in God's plan? What it is, what it was, what it will be, you can rejoice. Even as you read John chapter 19, you can rejoice because you can know that there was no other way. Why was there no other way? Well, we can go to Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane to know that. If there's any other way, let this cup, which would be the cup of suffering, taking that cup of suffering on behalf of the sins of the world, past, present, and future, there's any other way for this suffering to move along than let it be. But you hear it, not my will but yours. A submission of the Son to the Father in Gethsemane. A submission of the Son to the Father's will in his arresting. The submission of the Son to the Father as the 
Jewish leadership wants to see him destroyed. A submission of the son to the father as Pilate is sitting there trying to flex on him his authority. And Jesus goes, you don't even know what's going on. A submission of the son to the father on the cross. It's all there. And it's all there for our good. For our gain. For our life. Have confidence in what God's plan is. Know your Lord. Know your Savior. Trust Him. That's what we need in a world where everything feels sideways. Up is down and right is wrong and good and bad is bad is good. And we just go, I don't, I don't know. Trust what is known and revealed and sure. Because that's what we need. We have that. In Christ. We'll spend a little time next week and the week after going through the crucifixion. And we don't want to look at it in the coming weeks as an autopsy, which is sometimes how we talk about it. Well, the beating was like this, and it was like this, and it was like that. We look at pictures, and we see diagrams, and like, this is the Son of God. Almost feels weird to be like a medical examiner in that moment. And so, in the coming weeks, we'll look at Christ on the cross. Why and what it accomplished. And when Jesus says, it is finished, what is finished? John gives us clues. And he's been giving us clues throughout his gospel as to what is finished. So we'll see that. I'd ask you over these coming weeks to be prayerful that you would hear God's word, understand what is going on, and that he would illuminate your minds and your hearts to his truth, that you would realize all that has gone on is so that we could have life and be made right with our sin against an eternal God. And that part of that was the Son of God submitting to the will of lawless men because he was ultimately submitting to his father's will to bring about a good end for us. Can you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we look at these passages and we hear the phrases, we have no king but Caesar, crucify him, we have a law. If you do this, you're not Caesar's friend. We have all these things that we see and we hear and the appeals to the flesh and the appeals to the ego and, and we hear it and we know we would be doing the same. And so, Lord, our response. We thank you. We thank you that we have life. We thank you, Lord, that this was necessary, but that it brought about and is bringing about good. And so, by your Spirit, give us that confidence in your word. Give us that confidence in your plan to know that even when we don't understand or even when we misunderstand, that you are working. We want to submit ourselves fully to your will and your ways. Thank you for the example of Jesus, the only one who could do it perfectly. And so we rejoice in that. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.
over these coming weeks as we go to the Lord's table. And if you're new at Genesis, this is something that we do every week. We do it to remember the work of Jesus. And so if that's you this morning, communion is available for all who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus. If that's not you, remain where you are. Maybe you need prayer. I'd love to pray with you if there's something that you need prayer for, something to pray about. But as we're in the crucifixion of Jesus, he's now handed over to be crucified. And we see it this week and next week and the coming week and all that goes on and the provision of his mother's needs and the interest in still fulfilling scripture and, the, and even the, the resolve to know what is going on in that moment and that there's still work to be done up until his last breath. All of that paves the way for this moment where we get to remember the sacrifice of the Son of God that many might believe. That because he died, millions have lived and have been made right with God.